0: Hello there, everybody. This is Joe Cunningham here on The Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL, 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. Plenty of things to talk about today. Of course, lots going on in Baton Rouge, lots going on in Washington, D.C., and around the world. Let's start in Baton Rouge. So House leadership in the state legislature has come up with their budget plan. Uh, And they are calling it fiscally responsible. And one of the things that has caused outrage, you heard Moon talking about it earlier this morning. I know you did because I was sitting in here running the board for him. Um, One of the things that's come out is that the House proposal for a budget nixes the money that would go to teacher pay raises here in the state of Louisiana. And that, of course, has drawn some outrage. Now, you need to understand that this is not a sudden pay cut for teachers. John Bell Edwards was proposing, I think, two thousand dollars a year extra for teachers, if not the three thousand. And the um, the legislature has cut that proposal from their version of a budget. But that's not to say that they are against the raises. Now, what's happening here is a little bit of political uh, three-card Monty. Let's put it that way. What they're doing is they're essentially saying, you're not going to get the pay raises from the state, but we're going to create the opportunity for you to get the pay raises from your districts. Well, how are they going to do that? What they're proposing is spending, instead of a bunch of money on pay raises, spending a bunch of money to pay off a lot of the the debts and the accrued liabilities that school districts have. If they give money to the districts for those purposes, that frees up a lot of the money that the districts are otherwise paying on that, And what the legislature is saying is, oh, yeah, you can use that money to go ahead and increase your teacher pay based on what you're able to free up from it. And the folks in Baton Rouge are saying, yeah, this should actually clear up about $2,000 a year increase for all your teachers in every one of these districts. Now. When the media started reporting on this, naturally they reported that the GOP has nixed a pay raise for teachers, which is not honest. The legislature saying this is guaranteed to be able to give districts a way to pay their to increase their teachers pay is also dishonest, not necessarily going to happen because not every district works the same and not every district is going to react to this the same way. On the face of it, I like the idea of encouraging districts to create their own pay raises for teachers and giving them the means to do that. On the face of it, I love it. I think it's the right way to go about it, and here's why. When the district raises teachers' salary, the district is saying, yeah, absolutely, we're responsible for this. And if the district can afford to do it, then a district is going to do it. If a district can't afford to do it, they're not going to. But if the state government rolls in and says, we think that you are able to do this and we're going to make you do it, then what the state is doing is saying, I don't care what other money you have to spend. You also have to spend this. So if there comes a year and we are expecting a recession, we are still seeing high inflation. We are still seeing plenty of economic factors that are impacting you and me on a day to day basis. If there comes a year when revenue to the school districts is down. Well, by state law, districts cannot lower teacher salaries. So now the districts are on the hook for this pay raise that they never uh, voted in in the first place. So what does a school district have to do? A school district has to raise our taxes. A state mandated Teacher salary increase is an invitation for an increase in taxes because a school district is not always guaranteed to be able to fund a state-mandated pay raise. But if a district votes in a pay raise, that is because they believe they will be able to afford it. If the districts are suddenly gifted with a ton of cash to pay off their debts and pay off other liabilities and that frees up some money, does that guarantee the district will put the money they've saved toward raises? We would hope so. But again, not every school district is the same, and not every school district, frankly, is on the up and up. Here's the other thing, though, and this is the one thing that gets lost in all of this shuffle. The people who stand to benefit most from a teacher pay raise? Not the teachers. It's the unions and insurance. Every time you see teacher pay go up, you know what else goes up? Union dues and insurance. Those essentially get swallowed up. Those raises essentially get swallowed up by insurance and union dues. Now, thankfully, here in Louisiana, the unions are not as big and powerful as they would like to be, but there's still a significant number of them. And they do wield a pretty, pretty big influence over Democratic lawmakers in the state. Just ask John Bell Edwards, who gave them some pay raises, just enough to make them happy before the 2019 election. And he worked very hard for their endorsement in 2015 as well. It's not the teachers who are going to benefit from this pay increase if you've not set up a way for the teachers to actually benefit from it. If there are means for the insurance companies, uh, for for state insurance, uh, for the unions to get more money out of this pay raise, they're going to. Teachers actually won't see a whole lot extra from it. Now, again, full disclosure. I benefit from a teacher pay raise. My spouse is a teacher. Would absolutely love it if she got paid more. I don't think she's paid enough for the work that I know for a fact she puts in. Several of my closest friends are teachers. They do not get paid enough for the nonsense they have to put up with, frankly, on a day-to-day basis. For the amount of work that they put in. I would love for them to get paid more. I don't want for them to be told they're getting paid more and to see no difference because every other cost has gone up. If you really want to help teachers, find a way to prevent those costs from going up so they can feel more money. They can see more money actually going into their bank account every month. Because right now they don't feel that. Right now they don't see it. Right now they don't really get a whole lot of a benefit from these nickel and dime pay raises they've gotten in the past few years. And even if they do get a $2,000 pay raise from the state government, you know that their costs on insurance and other things are going to go up as well. That's the fact. So while I am 100% on board with a teacher pay raise, and I think they deserve it, I also fully understand that the teachers don't actually benefit from it right now. And there's the real problem that nobody in Baton Rouge actually wants to deal with. Nobody in Baton Rouge actually wants to deal with the fact that, they're, that they've allowed a situation, they've allowed this environment where a pay raise actually doesn't do anything to help the teachers, but it helps all the people who want to take advantage of teachers. It's really kind of gross. And it's really very unfair. But that's what they have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. We should, I think, support teacher pay rates. And I understand the arguments that some of y'all want to call in and give about how we're the worst education system and the teachers haven't earned it and this and that and the other. But I am telling you, we have an education crisis in this state right now because of a lack of a talent pool. The talent pool is not being attracted. The talent pool is not being uh, encouraged to stay. They're off. The pay is not worth what teachers are having to be put through day in and day out and there needs to be something different. 232 1542 if you want to take a if you want to take part in the conversation you can send a message through the KPL app chat. I'm going to take this break and we will be back here on the Joe Cunningham show in just a moment right here News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. You can also send a message through the KPL app chat. Um the second largest bank failure in U.S. history happened overnight, and there's been a lot of talk on it. Uh, First Republic Bank uh, was taken over by federal regulators, who then sold most of the assets to J.P. Morgan Chase. It is, uh, it's causing a lot of concern on Wall Street in the financial sector, and. I'm going to tell you what a lot of those people are not saying because they don't want to say this because they admit that they the models they're building their sector on are, are BS. Silicon Valley bank had terrible investment practices. They were also a niche bank. They focused primarily on tech entrepreneurs, which is a high investment high turnover sector, constant investment in reinvestment in tech because tech is changing all the time. First Republic was a niche bank in that it catered almost exclusively to rich coastal elites and, uh, tempted them in with a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of extras, uh, let's see. California-based specialty lender focused on serving rich coastal Americans, enticing them with low-rate mortgages in exchange for leaving cash at the bank. And to be honest, the financial sector thought this was genius. I mean, Jim Cramer at CNBC, who at this point is whatever he says, do the exact opposite. But he and others hailed it as a brilliant business model, a way to stay liquid. And it was great up until all that liquidity was up for grabs in a run on the bank following the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. The collapse of Silicon Valley, the collapse of New York Signature Bank led to depositors pulling their money. As of the other day, First Republic Bank had lost like 97% of its value. We're talking billions of dollars. It's the third mid-sized bank, like Silicon Valley, like Signature Bank, to, collect, to fail in three months. Here's ultimately why this is not indicative of a major f- global financial crisis like we've seen before. This is going to be relatively... Isolated to a handful of mid-size and regional banks. These niche banks are not following the regulations that have been set forth by the U.S. government. And you may be wondering how that's possible, considering the Democrats called for and got major banking regulations passed during the 2007 global financial crisis. Well, as it turns out, Those banks didn't follow the regulations and the regulators didn't do their homework. They discovered some things. They reported back on some things, but they never enforced the regulations. Signature Bank was staring down probes, government regulator probes. Silicon Valley Bank had multiple warning signs, multiple red flags that were ignored. First Republic had multiple red flags that were ignored. Which is why Joe Biden coming out today saying it's not going to cost you and me the taxpayer a penny and that Congress needs to step up and pass more banking regulations is nonsense. The U.S. government taking over these banks costs you and me money. It's our tax money that goes into this. Even when those assets are then sold off to a private firm like J.P. Morgan Chase. What you're still seeing is that you and I are financially on the hook for it in some way. But what's more, how can you tell us that there is more regulation to be passed when the current regulations are the ones not working? You can't say that we need more regulations. You don't know if the ones we have are working or not because nobody's enforcing it. So if we do have some sort of financial crisis, it's not because of you and me, and it's not because of Congress not passing more regulations. A financial crisis is squarely on the federal government for not following the rules it told us we needed in order to make sure this stuff didn't happen. First Republic, Silicon Valley, and Signature Bank all failed because they didn't follow the rules that the Democrats assured us we needed to pass. Why should we go with the Democrats and regulate private institutions even more? If the rules they told us we needed weren't working in the first place, they weren't being enforced. Not that they weren't working. Nobody was seeing if they worked. This is a financial crisis of the federal government's own making. 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. When we come back, more on what's going on around the country here on The Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPEL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232 1542 if you want to be part of the conversation we'll be thrilled to talk to you in fact we've got somebody on the line Wilford joins us. Wilford how are you today
1: oh, I'm doing good and yourself I'm making it Yeah I called because uh you made some salient points there uh, earlier about it about one about the uh the pay rate for teachers, a mm-hmm. lot of people don't know that uh, if you follow the money trail, and it's just like you said, you know, it, 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 people sucking up their money in government. Mm-hmm. The insurance companies and the, and the politicians who are making it possible for them to do what they're doing. Yep. Uh, on the other hand, you know, you know, it's 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 kind of sad that people are so misinformed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm glad people like you, you know, making the point for people to know what's really going on, as opposed to to just the things they hear or what they think.
0: Well, I appreciate you on that.
1: Yeah. uh... So I, I listen to you every day, Carl, and I'm 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 glad you and people like you doing what you're doing and you know, keep getting the word out there.
0: Well thank you. I, I appreciate it and I appreciate you listening. That that means a lot.
1: Yeah, well you have a good evening and uh thanks for taking my call.
0: Uh, not a problem. And anybody else who wants to call, two three two fifteen forty two is the number. Be glad to talk to you. Also, we'll uh respond to you on uh <laughs> I will respond to you on uh on our app chat to Tedon uh from Brobridge uh messaging as well. Uh you know he sends a little while ago uh would love to know where all the money goes. Our schools are falling apart. Kids having to share books and lockers at at one junior high. Uh teachers are underpaid. Uh you know PTO organizations uh d- several different organizations raise money for schools all the times. Uh and that there never seems to be enough money once all that money is kind of all of a sudden, hey, we need more. You know, we need another fundraiser. We need uh, we need a new tax. We need a new governor in order to be able to do anything. We need a new legislator. We need a new election. All these sorts. of There never does seem to be enough. And and t absolutely right on that. So we really need to make sure That when we do have the money that we're doing the right things with it, which is, again, why I think the state giving money to pay off some of those debts and and other accrued liabilities, things like that, I think that's a good idea on its surface. But we have to trust that these local school boards will then take the money they save and put that into uh, put that into teacher pay raises, because if not, I mean, they're just going to continue to suck up more money. But anyway. Like I said, two three two fifteen forty two. If you want to be part of the conversation, uh, there's there's a whole lot still going on in the world. I want to. Do I want to? Okay, yeah. There is. Uh, there's been a growth of there's there's been a growth in in these attack stories on conservative justices on the Supreme Court. Um, you have the attack on Clarence Thomas. And if you really dig into that story, there's not really a whole lot there. He, there was one technicality I think he got caught on that was a minor thing. He amended his filing. That was it. But they threw a lot of stuff against the wall to see what sticks. They did the same thing with Neil Gorsuch. they had this story the other day where they accused Neil Gorsuch of not disclosing a property that he sold Except he didn't sell the property and LLC that he was a member of sold the property. If he had claimed that he sold the prop, the, the property, he actually, uh, would have been lying on that disclosure forms and caused even more problems. Now there's another attack on Brett Kavanaugh. They're saying that the Senate panel that, uh, was reviewing all the, uh, information against Brett Kavanaugh during the hearings They didn't do near enough. The problem is the people who are shouting about this and giving this to the media are the same people that the Senate and other sources basically discredited during the initial investigation. So three conservative members of the Supreme Court are being attacked in media hits lately. There's also an attack against John Roberts, where John Roberts is being attacked because his wife, get this, has a job and she makes money. And that is a problem because John Roberts is chief justice of the Supreme Court, and who knows how he can be swayed by the money his wife makes at her job. There's also a, now an, an attack on uh, the Anton Scalia School of Law uh, because conservative justices and conservative judges go and speak there, and that is a conflict of interest. Never mind that Eleanor Kagan goes and speaks at the law school at Harvard. Only when conservative justices do it is it a problem. Here's the issue, though. They are trying to discredit the court after the Dobbs decision, but also after the West Virginia versus uh, EPA. And with the case they took up today, Looper Bright versus Ramondo that case could upend the entire bureaucracy. And it's not me exaggerating to say so in the 1980s, the Supreme court ruled in Chevron versus NRDC that the federal courts must accept a federal agency's interpretation of unclear statutes. This has allowed federal agencies to expand their power over time as courts must rely on bureaucratic interpretation of vague statutes In this particular case, the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration is forcing fishermen to pay federal monitors to be on their boats to the tune of about $700 per day. The NOAA justifies this by creatively reading a vague federal law related to the preservation of fisheries. The NOAA wants to observe and spy on what fishermen are doing out at sea, and they used to They used to pay for it, but the money for that program has run out. So now they are interpreting the law in a different way to say, hey, the fishermen must pay for this. This could. Upend Chevron, the Chevron deference is what it's called. If this undoes Chevron, then it further strengthens what happened in West Virginia versus EPA. West Virginia versus EPA said, hey. A federal agency does not have the power to create new law. The legislative branch must tell it what it can and can't do. If the legislative branch does not address it, you cannot assume that power. And now, if you upend Chevron, what you're telling the federal bureaucracy is, hey, you can't have these wild interpretations. You have to... Abide by the letter of the law and the powers that you have received, and the courts can absolutely question your motivations for doing so, and absolutely can question whether or not you're on the up and up for doing it. The Democrats, the progressives, do not like that Chevron could be upended. If Chevron is completely thrown out, which this case could do, then all of a sudden the bureaucracy is rendered only as powerful as the legislative branch makes it. Which is a very good thing, although it still worries me a little bit because the legislative branch has shown in times past they're willing to hand out power to federal agencies so they don't have to worry about some things. But now, but now, with This Looper Bright versus Raimondo case, you could see that ending. It's actually a very good thing. And because I know he is sitting in the next room, that will probably make Caleb Morse a little bit happy over at the Rustic Renegade because upending Chevron also would weaken just like West Virginia versus EPA did what the ATF could actually do in terms of writing up new rules. This is a big deal. This is a very important case that's up before the Supreme Court and the progressives and the Democrats are livid because all of the time they have spent storing as much power as they can in the federal bureaucracy is about to be upended because they lost elections and lost the ability to name justices to the Supreme Court. This is sour grapes. And so going back to the beginning of this segment, what does that mean? That means they are going to try to discredit the court in any way possible because they have nothing else. They have routinely lost elections that matter, so they have not been able to get all the judicial appointees they want, especially at the Supreme Court. And they are mad at Ruth Bader Ginsburg at holding on. They are mad at uh Donald they're mad at Mitch McConnell for not granting uh, Merrick Garland a chance to be on the Supreme Court. But guess what? That was an incredibly risky maneuver by McConnell, and it paid off. And the, if the Democrats tried and the Republicans cry foul, I'm sorry, the Democrats would be in the right to do it as well. But because the left has lost elections that were critical to maintaining their power on the court, which is what it is. Because they've lost key elections to doing so, they are now, with all the sour grapes in the world, attacking and undermining the legitimacy of the Supreme Court. But never mind. If you were, if you and I were to do that, while the progressives were in charge, they would be they would be attacking us and calling us every name in the book. How dare we undermine a federal institution, a national institution that is constitutionally created? In the Supreme Court, but because the Supreme Court has not done what the Supreme Court wants, what they want the Supreme Court to do, now it's okay to attack those justices. Now it's okay to not condemn the people that have been targeting, harassing, and even threatening the justices' lives. It's all fair game because if only the if only the uh, the justices of the Supreme Court hadn't been so risky in overturning Roe v.ersus Wade, if, if only they hadn't been threatening to be so conservative and upend decades of uh, starry decisis, only then would they be safe and it would be okay. But no, they have to go and upend the way things are. That's just not cool. The Democrats and the progressives will tell the justices they deserve every negative story, every threat, everything, because they are changing the way things have been. And you wonder why they are so difficult to take seriously. They are the sorest losers in the game. 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation or send a message to the KPEL app chat. Got some more messages in. I will read and respond to those. And, of course, maybe mention them on the air as well. Let's take this break. We'll be back here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPEL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232 1542. For those of you wondering, yes, that was Weird Al Yankovic. And I did add Weird Al to my bumper list for some reason or another. That is a great song. Anyway, he he performed that song when he was here in October at the Hyman Center. That was a brilliant, brilliant show. Loved it. Um, Emo Phillips, the opening act, did some great stand-up. Uh, emo to the left. So there were some jokes that did poke fun at conservatives, but overall just a, a funny show all around. Anyway, two, three, two, 1542. If you want to be part of the conversation or if you want to, uh, if you want to send a message through the KPEL app chat, we'll, uh, gladly talk to y'all there as well. Okay. So Ron DeSantis is sitting on 86 million dollars right now. He is going to jump into the race in the coming months. He's not made any official moves with the Florida legislature still in uh still in session. Um I think I'm starting to wonder if DeSantis and his silence is making a mistake. I've been pretty defensive of DeSantis because he's not a candidate. And I know that a lot of the attacks on DeSantis are unfair. And I know a lot of the attacks are based on the fact that his people don't talk to the media. And so the media has to fill that silence with other voices. And so naturally they go to the anti-DeSantis voices. Because also, deep down, the media doesn't want DeSantis to run because they know he stands the best shot of beating Joe Biden. Anyway, there is is a situation for DeSantis. And that is the fact that there is a void. There, There are no voices in defense of DeSantis that are in the mainstream press. And it's leading some to wonder if He hasn't made a misstep here. In March of 1999, George W. Bush set up a presidential exploratory committee. He set that up so that this committee could start making staff hires and start running a press shop, basically to put out pro-Bush stories that the media could pick up on. And so it got the pro-Bush voices into the media in a way that Ron DeSantis has not been able to. Ron DeSantis doesn't have an exploratory committee. Ron DeSantis does not have, uh, other than a team working in the background to sort of set things up, there's nothing official, and because there's nothing official, there's nothing really they can do. The other part of this, like I said, is his silence toward the media. Because his team does not leak, because nobody talks to the mainstream press, because rightly, they know the mainstream press is out to get DeSantis. there is a silence there. Now, there are reporters at various outlets that would be willing to give a, a, a lend an ear to Ron DeSantis that would run what they what DeSantis and his team has to say without being super uh dishonest about it. Let's say. There are some reporters out there who would do that. But because the DeSantis team has taken a very anti-press view and is not talking to any major or mainstream outlets over it, there's been this silence. And so Donald Trump is able to fill the silence. The Democrats are able to fill the silence. Uh, The press is able to get away with running these hit pieces on DeSantis with nobody able to push back. And that is causing a lot of concern, and some of that concern is justified. I know I've defended DeSantis, but some of the concern is justified. Will DeSantis be able to turn around from where he is now? I think so, because we're still a good enough ways out, and DeSantis has proven that he is master- he's masterful in the way he handles a lot of the criticisms that go his way. But he's been unable to really defend it, Because he's been silent, because he's not officially running, and there is no exploratory committee that can do the pushback for him. In the coming weeks, we will see. In the coming weeks, we'll see if there's an exploratory committee. In the coming weeks, we know the legislative session will be done. Then we'll see what DeSantis can do. I think he can overcome it, but there are plenty of people, and I think that they have valid concerns, who are questioning whether or not he can. That's it for me. I'm going to take a 23-hour break. In the meantime, follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Email joe at redstate.com and check out the podcast version of the show at joecunninghamshow.substack.com. How many times can I say show in this outro? Anyway, I'm out. Talk to you guys again soon. Caleb Morris, the Ruster Green Gate, in with Shannon. And Shannon, as always, is sides. You guys have a good one. Talk to you again soon here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.